0: Good morning, welcome to Westbridge Church. My name is Jeremiah, I'm one of the pastors here. I want to say hello to those of you in our uh, uh, online campus. Thanks for joining us there, it's a great option. Uh, And those in our parent viewing rooms, a great option if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. And uh, anybody watching in our cafe, another area that you can check out as well. Um, We are in week two of a series called Emotional Health. And when I was in second grade, I was, uh, I had just gotten a skateboard for Christmas and I was riding my skateboard. I hadn't quite learned how to ride it standing up yet. And so I would ride it uh, on my knees and I'd push with one foot and then I'd kind of like be on my knees and I'd be riding like that. And when I was in second grade, I was coming down the sidewalk in the front of our house and my front wheels of the skateboard hit a crack in the sidewalk. And the, the uh, skateboard came to an immediate halt and my face did not. And I went Right down into the pavement. It just flung my face straight down into the sidewalk. Uh, I, I can still like remember just the, the impact of my nose hitting the, the pavement. Uh, that feeling. If you ever get your nose hit real hard, it's just the, like such a horrible feeling. And there was like this delayed reaction where it was like a split second of like I was just shocked, and then it was like, Aah! and. I ran into the house. I had a road rash, like just all, my whole face was just bleeding. And uh, my mom's like, what happened? And, I, was like, ah, ah, ah. and <laughs> I couldn't quite get it out, you know. And I chipped a tooth. I still have a chipped tooth to this day. Uh, and, and I'll never forget, I was, that was my week to be the star of the week in Ms. Doble's second grade class. And that's, if you don't know, like for me in second grade, that was like where you you get to take your picture that week and they put your your picture up on the star and you're the the highlighted student of the week. And I'm sitting in there like my picture is like just bloodied and mangled and my nose is swelled like twice the size. And they're like, star of the week. It was just great. It left a little bit of a scar. Uh, But the truth is we could probably all point back to some things in our lives that are scars that we could probably tell, oh, this is the time I did this. And, uh, you know, when I was in fourth grade, this happened when I was 15, this happened when I was 22. And we can probably look at scars on our body and recognize uh, some stories that go along with that. And sometimes over time, those scars fade, maybe even go away. But what do you do with the things that scar you internally? What do you do with the things that are uh, on your heart? The the things that emotionally are so difficult to let go of. And so that's why we're doing this series, Emotional Health, because uh, as a church, our mission statement is this. We want to be people helping people find and follow Jesus. So what that means is we want to help people discover who Jesus is and how much He loves them. and, And then we want to walk with people and help them discover what it looks like to follow Jesus and His way of living. And we think both of those things are really, really important. And so as you begin to follow Jesus, as you discover who Jesus is and how much he loves you and you begin to walk in his way, here's one of the things that's really important because sometimes we make this, this becomes a disconnect for us. It's really important to understand that it, uh, it's impossible for me to, to grow and mature spiritually and remain uh, emotionally immature, It's really difficult for me to become spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature, because a lot of the emotions that I experience that get lodged in my heart are things that impact my relationships and they impact the people around me. And part of following Jesus is growing in relationships and our love for others. And so uh, if you're going to grow in your walk with Jesus, at some point you have to deal with the emotions that get lodged in your heart. And that's why we said last week, follow your heart is the worst possible advice that you can get. Just follow your heart, man. Your heart will lead you to some pretty disastrous results because your heart and your emotions will deceive you. Instead, Solomon, who is one of the wisest men who ever lives, uh, who ever lived in the Old Testament of the Hebrew Scriptures, he actually writes this. He says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So the idea is not just follow your heart wherever it leads. The idea is actually you guard what goes into your heart because whatever is in your heart eventually makes its way out of your heart. That's why we said last week, you know, there's things where we go, we say something and then we immediately follow it up with, oh, I didn't mean to say that. that that's not the real me. That, that, I didn't mean that. And the truth is, no, you, you meant it. It was in there. It just came out. And if we're not careful to guard our hearts, The things that make their way into our hearts eventually make their way out. And you know what suffers the most is our relationships. It's our relationships that really begin to suffer as a result of what is coming out of our hearts. And so Solomon says, look, it's not follow your heart, it's guard what goes in, because everything else flows out of it. And so last week, we talked about this thing that gets stuck in our hearts sometimes called guilt. And we talked about the fact that guilt really says this. Guilt says, I owe you. There's this sense that if when I hurt someone, when I say something about them, when I wrong someone, there's a sense where I've stolen something from them. And now there is a, an inequity in the relationship. There, there's a, there's a uh, in our relationship, there's a debt-debtor relationship. And so we're not on equal footing anymore. Now I just, I feel indebted to them. And I, and I feel like we're not going to be okay until I can figure out how to pay them back. And so we talked about that last week, and and the the way to clear out guilt out of your heart is confession. But what happens when you're on the receiving end of that? What happens when you feel someone has stolen something from you? Because while guilt says, I owe you, anger says, you owe me. Anger says, you took something from me, you stole something from me, and anger might be the most destructive emotion that we can experience as human beings if we don't learn how to deal with it, because it can cause so much destruction in our relationships, in fact, what happens is we get hurt in one season of life. And if we don't resolve anger quickly, this is why in the scriptures we're, we're told that while it's still called today, as, you know, as much as possible to resolve things, because when we don't resolve our anger quickly, what happens is it becomes very, very easy to lose sight of the original source of our hurt and the original source of our pain. In fact, uh, you, you show me a, an angry person and I'll show you a hurt person. And there's a, really, uh, there's a really good chance that the reason they're hurt is because they feel that something was stolen from them. They feel that something was taken from them because anger always says, you owe me, you owe me, you stole something from me and we're not okay until you repay whatever it is that I feel you took from me. Because now there's, a, there's a, an inequity in the relationship. We're not on equal footing. This, this friendship is not on equal terms. This relationship is not on equal ground because now... You're indebted to me. And while guilt says I owe you, anger says you owe me and we're not going to be okay until you pay back what you owe me. There's an open account with their name on it. And maybe it was someone at your work who stole your idea and they got all the credit and you're like, that was my idea. And they got, they got the promotion you deserved or the raise you deserved or the credit that you deserved or the attention that you thought was coming to you. Maybe it was a flippant word by a friend that just cut really deep and that really, that really hurt you. And you're just thinking about it and mulling it over. Maybe it was a a close friend who betrayed you. Maybe it was a spouse who who left you or just didn't live up to your expectations. Maybe somewhere in your life you experienced abuse. Maybe you experienced abandonment. Someone took advantage of you. Maybe it was other students at your school who went out of their way to just make you feel unaccepted. Maybe it was a parent who walked out on your family or maybe they just were never around or maybe they just had unrealistic expectations about how you were supposed to behave and you just never felt like you measured up and you never felt like they loved you unless you earned it or maybe it was even a church and they had these unrealistic expectations or painted a picture of that you were less deserving because of things in your past and somehow this one place that you went to to find hope and healing and, and restoration left you feeling more alone than ever before. Somewhere along the way, these things get lodged in our hearts and and you know you have some unresolved anger in your life when you start rehearsing imaginary conversations with people who hurt you, right? This happens to me. When somebody hurts me, I'm like, oh man, next time I see a zinger, it's going to be good. And you start rehearsing like, OK, if this comes up, I know exactly what I'm going to say to them. This is going to be so good. And, and uh, I got to be honest, you know, maybe this doesn't happen for you, but always in my imagination and in my scenario, uh, it's always in, a, in front of a huge group of people. And they start slow clapping for me. And it's like they're cheering me on. Unresolved anger becomes so destructive because you carry it with you from one season of life to the next. And you lose sight of the original source of your hurt. And now what happens is it is the people in this season of life that are getting hit with the shrapnel of your anger. And you're not even angry at them. You're not angry at your spouse. You're not angry at your kids. You're not angry at your neighbor. You're not angry at your coworkers. You're not angry at those other drivers on the road. It's just you've lost sight of the original source of your hurt. And now anger becomes the lens through which you view life, because now it's like, I I need to get paid back. I need to make sure that I'm not uneven with anyone anymore. I need to make sure that I'm not owed anything anymore, because I didn't like how that felt. And now that just becomes the lens through which you conduct life. Now, we're not the first people to deal with this. This is kind of like not a, you know, American problem. It's not a 21st century issue. This is something that people have been dealing with throughout human history. In fact, even Jesus' followers were struggling with this. And how do I move past anger? How do, I, how do I get past these feelings in my heart where I feel that someone has stolen from me and that they owe me? And how do I make relationships whole again when I know they owe me something? And I feel like we're not going to be okay until they pay that back. And here's what I can tell you. Last week we said this. The way to clear your heart out of guilt is through confession. The way to clear your heart out of anger is through forgiveness. It's through forgiveness. And, and here's, here's what I know is the pushback to that. All right, preacher, just forgive, man. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Just forgive. So easy, right? Uh, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, was dealing with this question as well. In fact, he was one of Jesus' closest friends and, and one of his followers, and he, he wrote some instructions for following Jesus later on in, in what we call the New Testament. And Peter is kind of wrestling through this. He, he knows, like, I need to forgive, but, like, how far is too far? Like, how far do I have to take this? When is enough enough? When do, I, when do I not have to forgive? And so he comes to Jesus with this question, and here's what he says. Then Peter came to him, talking about Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Like, when is enough enough? And then Peter goes, seven times? Now, you have to understand, Peter is probably thinking pretty highly of himself at this point, because he's like, really, he's thinking maybe twice, you know, but I'm starting to follow Jesus. I know Jesus is going to raise the bar on some of this stuff, so I'm going to, I'm going to be a nice guy and I'm going to stretch it to seven. And so Peter's like, well, I mean, Jesus, right, like seven times is probably like. <laughs> Watch this, guys. So he takes a stab at it. Here's what Jesus says. No, not seven times, but 70 times Seven. So minimum 490 times. And, and Peter's just like, wait, what? Come on. Well, what's the deal here? Like seven feels like pretty generous. Someone hurts you seven times and you forgive seven times. And Jesus says, no, more like 70 times seven. And then Jesus goes on to tell them a story because he wants them to see forgiveness differently. He doesn't want them to see it in terms of, uh, you know, this person owes you and this is how you can get even with them. And this is what forgiveness looks like. Instead, Jesus tells them a story. And so he tells them a story like this. There was a king and this king was owed a massive amount by one of his servants. And it was so much that this servant could never ever in all of his lifetime work hard enough or work enough hours to repay the debt that he owed this king. And, and so uh, he, he goes to the, to the king and he pleads for mercy. And in this day, uh, the way that this worked, the way the economy worked in the first century was if you owed a massive amount, then you could be arrested and you could become basically a slave, an indentured servant, and you would have to work off whatever debt you owed. Now that might take five years or eight years or 15 years. And then when your debt was paid off, then you would uh, essentially earn your freedom. And that's how things worked in the first century. And this is the context in this story. And Jesus says, the king looks at the servant and he says, you know, uh, you owe me this massive amount. And so I'm going to have to basically make you an indentured servant. I'm going to have to arrest you and your wife and your kids. You're all going to have to work for basically your entire life to pay back a fraction of the debt that you owe me. And the the servant is just beside himself and he begs and he pleads for mercy. And the king looks at him and says, okay, I'm going to show you mercy. The whole debt that you owe me, you don't owe me anymore. It's forgiven. Let's wipe the slate clean. Let's start again. And the servant is just like, thank you, thank you, thank you. He's overjoyed. And immediately he runs out and he actually finds another fellow servant who owes him a very small amount of money. And he says to that servant, you owe me this money. Pay back what you owe me. In fact, pay me back today, or I'm going to put you and your family in prison to pay back what you owe me. And the servant, finding himself in the exact same position that the other servant was in previously, says, I can't pay you back. I won't be able to pay you back. Please show mercy. And rather than showing the same mercy that he had received, this servant says, I can't show you that mercy. And so instead, I'm going to have you arrested, your family arrested, thrown into jail. You're going to work until you pay me back what you owe me. And word gets back to the king, and the king finds out what has happened with this first servant, and he brings him back in, and he says, didn't I forgive a massive debt that you owed me? How is it that you were unable to forgive this small amount that was owed to you? Because of the way that you've responded, I'm going to arrest you and your family, and you're going to work off your debt. Now, here's the point that Jesus is making. Jesus wants them to see forgiveness differently. And while Peter is looking for the minimum, Jesus actually presents them with a whole new way to look at forgiveness. Jesus presents them with an idea that you you don't look at forgiveness through the lens of what you're owed. You look at forgiveness through the lens of all that you have been forgiven. It's a much different perspective on forgiveness. And so I want to help us understand what does it look like for me to truly Forgive someone who has wronged me, who has hurt me, who I feel has betrayed me, who I feel owes me. What does it look like to forgive in the true, healthy biblical sense? And in order to do that, we have to deal with some misunderstandings because the way that we tend to view forgiveness in our culture uh, has a little bit of uh, some misguided ideas some misunderstanding. There are a lot of goofy ideas about forgiveness that keep us from forgiving in a really healthy way. And so here's what true forgiveness is not before we deal with what it is. True forgiveness is not simple maturity. There are some situations that I should just let go of because that's just called being mature, right? Sometimes we take this concept of forgiveness to such a low level that we devalue it. If I use the word forgiveness to describe a situation of me letting go of something that I should let go of, that's not forgiveness. That's just simple maturity. Uh, When when the big stuff happens, I feel that I've already forgiven. When the big stuff happens, I feel like, well, I've I've already forgiven that, so that's not a big deal. There's a lot of things that happen to us, and we use the word forgiveness, and we haven't really forgiven anything. All we've done is acted with a little maturity. For instance, if a two-year-old comes up and kicks me in the shin, And I turn around, and I kick them back. Your response would be, yeah, that's right. Nobody messes with you. All right. No. You'd be like, what in the world? Because you would recognize that's not a mature response in that situation. Now, if a two-year-old kicks me in the shin, and I turn around, and I go, oh, okay, I'm going to overlook that. You also wouldn't look at me and say, wow, he displayed incredible forgiveness. You'd say, he behaved like an adult, and he just overlooked it. Recognized it's not that big of a deal. Moved on with his life. That is not forgiveness. That's just overlooking it. Here's how this plays itself out in people's lives. Somebody's standing up, and they're saying thank you to a big list of people who helped pull off this big event at work, and and all of a sudden, they accidentally forgot someone's name. And now that person is upset. Man, they are upset. And I can't tell you how often this happens, how, how often this happens to people, where they let something so simple, so small, just get their heart all jacked up. And then, you know, to to move past it, they're like, oh, yeah, I I forgave. It was a big act of forgiveness. No, here's what you need to do. You need to go down to Menards. You need to buy a ladder. And you need to get over it. That's just called maturity. That's just called adulting. All right, that's not an act of forgiveness. Think about road rage. How many of you have been driving and uh, somebody cut you off? And you're like, that's it. They are my sworn enemy for life. I mean, I will show them, right? And, how, and yet, it's like, like something in you just rises. Uh, but if you overlook it, that's not this huge act of forgiveness. That's just called being mature. Uh, and the truth is, how many times have you done that to someone else? I've done that to people more times than I'd like to admit, where I didn't see them. They were in my blind spot. I cut them off. And, and usually, you know what happens? Uh, they get behind me, and they get really close, and they start waving with some international symbols. But usually, you know what happens if I go, sorry, you know, sorry, like kind of own it. They're like, is that a massive act of forgiveness on their part? No, it's called being mature. In fact, in Proverbs 19, Solomon writes this, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Sensible people. Because this isn't some big act of forgiveness. When you overlook something that has happened to you, it's just being sensible. Sometimes it's just being mature. And we'll never understand what it means to really forgive what feels unforgivable if we simply are constantly caught up on things that are just excusable, the things we ourselves have done to others. And so just simple maturity, that's not forgiveness. Okay, that that gets misunderstood. Here's another big one that gets misunderstood. Spiritual, uh, real forgiveness is not spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia is this. Well, just forgive and forget. The idea of forgiving doesn't mean that you have to forget or, or pretend that it never happened. One of the craziest ideas I've ever heard is when someone forgives, they should forget. Hey, hey, why are you bring that up? Like, you forgave, you should forget. And when people bring that up, that concept, it's because of a, a, a verse that they read in the Bible that they are misinterpreted, and then they're applying it to their situation. And here's the verse that often gets kind of brought into this and, and then kind of butchered and then leads us to this result. It's from Hebrews chapter 10, and it's quoting from Jeremiah in the Old Testament. The Lord says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. See, forgive and forget. Well, the truth is this. We have this amazing phrase to forgive and forget. But the reality is, if I had the ability to forget, I would never have the need to forgive. Like, man, I'm really sorry about that. Sorry about what? I don't even remember. I have no idea what you're talking about. I just forgot. I mean, what a gift that would be, right? And if God doesn't remember sins that he's forgiven, there are big chunks of the Bible that God doesn't even know about. Big chunks where people did things. It's written down. And then, and then if you brought that to God, he'd be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. It's just wiped from my memory bank. The word remember in this phrase, in, in this verse that we read, where it says, the Lord says, I will never remember their sins. Here's what that means. It's not a, uh, it's not a literal term. It's a relational term. It means to turn toward. It, it means you turn your attention towards. In Genesis chapter 8, uh, verse 1, it says, Then God remembered Noah and his family. If you know anything about the the Old Testament or if you've ever heard of the great flood, Noah and the the ark, and and Noah's floating around in the ark with his family for over a hundred days. And then Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, then God remembered Noah. Did God forget? And like, he's just like, oh my gosh, Noah. Oh, I forgot to turn the hose off. Guys, I'm so Sorry. No, here's what it means. It means then God remembered Noah and his sin. Then God turned his attention towards Noah and his family. And this is what it means when it says he will remember our sins no more. It means he will not turn his attention towards those things when dealing with you and me, his children. He chooses not to view us through the lens of the things that we've done. That's what it means. But does it mean that we just forgive and forget? No. In fact, a much more healthy thing is to remember and forgive. That makes a lot more sense. Here's another one. Uh, true forgiveness is not immediate removal of consequences. We, we like to think this. We like to think, well, I'm forgiven, right? So why do I still have these consequences? I see this in conversations with couples that I sit with. And one couple has done something that feels like a betrayal to the other, whether it's emotionally or physically or, uh, you know, financially. And you're trying to get them to move forward. And oftentimes the one who is forgiven will say something like, well, things just aren't like they used to be. And the assumption is that once forgiveness takes place, all the consequences should disappear. And the truth is, think about God's forgiveness towards us. When God forgives, does he instantly remove every consequence you've ever experienced? Nope. When people in prison start to follow Jesus, are they immediately pardoned? Nope. Uh, Really, God's forgiveness seldom, if ever, removes consequences. What it does instead is it offers us a second chance. It offers us a way forward. It offers us the strength to move through our consequences. It offers us the ability to have peace when everything's going on around us. Forgiveness does not mean an immediate removal of all consequences. It's okay to say, I forgive you and still keep you at arm's length and set some boundaries. It's okay to say, I forgive you, but I don't trust you with money. It's okay to say, I can forgive you, but I'm gonna determine boundaries moving forward because that's one of the consequences of the decisions that you've made. It's only in eternity that all of our consequences are removed and all of our scars are finally healed. So sometimes we have to live with some of the consequences of the decisions that we've made, because that's the world we live in. Here's another one. Spiritual, uh, true, true forgiveness is not an immediate restoration of trust. See, forgiveness and trust are two very, very different things. Forgiveness is a decision. Trust is earned back over time. This is where somebody who has, uh, who has done something wrong, once they say they're sorry, they want to go right back to where they were. Like forgiveness lets you start over, but it doesn't put you right back where you were. When I forgive you, we start over, but it doesn't mean that trust is instantly restored. So like we meet, neutral, right? And then over time we have a relationship and trust is built. But when trust is broken, it goes the other direction. When I forgive, it doesn't put you back to here. When I forgive, it puts you back to neutral, and we get to start building trust again. But this idea that, well, you forgive me, why don't you trust me? That idea is not conducive with healthy and biblical forgiveness. See, forgiveness does not equal the trust zone. It equals start over zone. And that's why when someone has been untrustworthy with money, you don't say, I forgive you. Here's another credit card. You say, hey, I forgive you. Here's what the boundaries look like moving forward so that we can build trust back. Forgiveness is a decision, but trust is earned back over time. Forgiveness is not permission to let somebody hurt you over and over and over again. Don't buy into that notion. Even if somebody says, well, you forgave me, so now you have to let me. Don't let someone manipulate you like that. That is not scriptural, biblical, healthy forgiveness. Forgiveness says, I forgive you. I'm not going to view you through that lens anymore. I'm not going to try to extract from you what I feel you owe me. But trust is earned back over time. Solomon writes this in Proverbs 14. Only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. If you want to to be wise moving forward, even in forgiveness, carefully consider your steps. When we follow these kind of bizarre ideas of forgiveness, it actually hurts us. It becomes more difficult to actually forgive someone in a healthy and biblical way. And so what is true forgiveness? What does that actually look like? What does that actually mean? Well, first, true forgiveness is actually this, refusing to demand payment for a past injustice. Someone has hurt me. Someone owes me. Here's what I feel that they took from me. Forgiveness says this, I'm not going to slander you. I'm not going to talk about you to other people. I'm not going to go behind your back. I'm not going to demand from you what I feel is owed to me. I'm not going to use whatever ability and whatever leverage I have to somehow extract from you what I feel is owed. I'm just not going to do that. The Apostle Paul actually writes about this in Romans chapter 12. Paul is a guy who was a follower of Jesus and he started churches all around the first century, all around the Mediterranean, the known world and the Roman Empire. And he's writing back to a group of people in the Roman Empire about what does it look like to follow this way of Jesus. And in particular, in these verses, in, in Romans chapter 12, he's writing specifically about how do we handle this? If you're struggling with the monsters of hurt and betrayal, I would encourage you to commit some of these verses to memory. Here's what Paul writes. He says this Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Never repay back evil with more evil. In other words, don't, don't try to extract from someone else what you want to get from them. And notice it says, Live in peace with everyone. It, no, it doesn't say, Live in peace with everyone, it says, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And there are people who will hurt you again and again and again, and you may have to set some boundaries. But what's important is that you're not keeping score. You're not consumed by a past injustice to the point that you want to seek revenge, that you want to extract from them what you feel is owed to you. There's been several times in uh, our marriage, my wife and I, where uh, we've had to forgive each other, and never more so than when a water fight has broken out in our house. And usually it starts with her because she's an instigator. And I can say that because I'm up here and she's not. (laughs) It'll start with, uh, I'm just in the shower and all of a sudden a cold cup of water comes over the top of the shower and just I'm doused in cold water. And, And my immediate reaction is not, that was a good one. Way to go. It's, oh, no, you didn't. And it's not like, well, the appropriate response is you did this, so I'll do this. The appropriate response is you did this and I'm doing this now. And so then what happens is like, I'm pretty sure we've almost ruined our house trying to one-up each other on a water fight, where it starts with a cup of water. And then I'm, my re- only natural response is to get a bigger cup of water and splash her you know, in the kitchen. And then her response is a bucket of water. And then my response is, you know, put a rubber band around the thing that sprays the sink, so that this, when she turns the water on, it just, you know. And then it moves from that to a super soaker. And so she gets me with a super soaker. And then I'm dragging our ho- hose from outside into our house. and. Pretty soon, we're like, we gotta call our insurance company. <laughs> because I think we just ruined our house, you know? And what is that in us? What is that in us when somebody does something to you? are like, oh, my instant reaction. And never, never do you get to the point where you're like, that's, that's fair. That was good. You know, you got me. Let's call it even. You're always just like, oh, well, you did this, I'm gonna do that. And you did that, I'm gonna do that. And there's something in us. And this is the dynamic that the Apostle Paul is describing when it comes to, hey, somebody hurt you. And now you're like, well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get what they owe me. I'm going to extract from them what they owe me, in fact, with interest. Because I've been dealing with this now, and now I'm going to get it with interest. So they did this to me. I'm going to do that. And, and, and the Apostle Paul is describing this exact dynamic. And then he continues. He says this, uh, dear friends, never take revenge. In other words, what does that mean? Never use your ability, whatever is at your disposal, and leverage that for the sake of extracting from someone else what you feel you are owed. Don't do that. Don't take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. See, evil conquers us when we just decide to one-up each other all the time. Then you know what wins? Evil wins. He says, you want to conquer evil, you do good. You'd be the first to lay your weapon down. And the reality is, when we're so consumed by a past injustice, that it drives us to even the score, Paul says, you're actually assuming the role of God. You're actually jumping the gun on God's prerogative. Because God said, he will take care of it. And do you know how God often takes care of it? It's not usually the way we thought he would. Usually, God's primary objective is to make his enemies his friends and to make them my friends in the process. And I'm never upset when he does that because it's exactly what he did with me. When I owed an incredible debt that I could never repay, and God said, you're forgiven. Now just extend to others the same forgiveness that you've received from me and so true forgiveness is refusing to demand payment it's refusing to demand payment for a past injustice it's refusing to use whatever is at my disposal whatever ability i have whatever leverage i have it's refusing to use that to extract what i believe i'm owed that's the first part of it but also it's a deliberate decision to cancel a debt True forgiveness says, not only am I not going to use what is at my disposal to leverage and extract from you what I feel I am owed, whatever I am owed, I'm actually going to cancel that debt. I'm actually gonna forgive that debt. There's a ledger with your name on it and here's what you owe me. And I've just decided you don't owe me that anymore. In his letter to the Colossians, the apostle Paul is writing to a group of people in, in a first century Colossae, and he's describing for them, here's what it looks like. Now that you have been made friends with God, this is what your life looks like as a result. And here's what he says to them. He says, God has chosen you and made you his holy people. He loves you. So your new life should be like this. Show mercy to others. Be kind, humble, gentle, and patient. Don't be angry with each other, but forgive each other. If you feel someone has wronged you, forgive them. And then here, here's the, the exclamation point at the end of the whole thing. This is, he gives you context. You forgive others because they deserve it. Forgive others because, man, they really apologized well. Forgive others because they were able to pay you back everything they stole from you. Because no, none of that is the context for forgiveness. You forgive others because the Lord forgave you. This is the context for forgiveness. I'm able to forgive others because of what I have been forgiven. And I can't control my feelings. You can't control your feelings. They just are. We experience the emotion of anger, but I can control my actions. I can't control that what you did deeply hurt me and I feel betrayed, but I can always control if I choose to forgive, whether I feel like it or not. I can decide I'm not going to carry this ledger around with your name on it anymore. And some of us have been deeply hurt by someone, someone that you loved, someone that you trusted, and you are paralyzed in life, and you, you can't move forward until you feel that whatever was taken from you is paid back. But if you're honest with yourself, If you're really honest, you'd recognize it and you would even admit that probably can't be paid back anyways. There's probably not a way for them. Even if they wanted to pay you back, they couldn't pay you back. And so you're holding on to something that can never be resolved the way that you want it to be resolved. The only way forward is to cancel the debt. They may even be sorry and remorseful, but you can't move forward because you're waiting for them to repay something that they'll never be able to repay. And you're the only one being affected by it and your relationships and your marriage your kids your coworkers your neighbors your friends your immediate family your relationships are the ones that are suffering as a result so paul says forgive cancel the debt by the way you remember that big debt that you had racked up towards god do you remember what he did with that remember how he forgave you god forgave you a tremendous debt and in light of all that god has forgiven you you lost the right to withhold forgiveness from others. If you've ever said yes to the forgiveness of God, if you've ever said, God, here's all the ways that I have missed the mark in life. You said to live life this way, I've missed that mark tremendously, please forgive me. The moment that you brought your sins to Jesus and asked for forgiveness, God says, I forgive you. And the moment that you received that forgiveness, you gave up your right to withhold that forgiveness from other people. And you're the only one suffering as a result anyways. And some of you have been so affected by that open ledger that you've lost relationships because of your inability to forgive. Your inability to forgive has affected your friendships and your marriage. And the reality is you're actually in the right. And they are in the wrong. And they did say that thing. They did hurt you. They did betray you. They did steal from you. And so here's the choice that you have to make. You can either be right or you can be in relationships. You can choose humility now and say, even though I'm in the right, I'm going to choose to forgive, and that takes some humility. Or you can choose regret later. And someday, years from now, you'll look back at this season of life where you could have forgiven, and you will have lost years and years of relationship, and what you will experience then is regret. So you can choose humility now or regret later. I would rather choose humility now than have regret later. And most of us think we can't do this because we've bought into this false notion that forgiveness is an emotion. When I I start to feel better about that person, when, when that scar starts to fade a little bit, then I'll forgive. But forgiveness is not an emotion. It is a decision. It is a choice that I make right here, right now to cancel the debt that you owe me. And that's the whole point of forgiveness. It goes against my natural feelings. It goes against everything I'm feeling. Forgiveness isn't something that we try to do It's not something that we give it our best shot at. We either do it or we don't. It's a choice. It's a specific moment, a specific action where I decide I'm going to close the account on what I feel you owe me. I think one of the reasons we find that so difficult is because there's a sense of fairness in us, isn't there, where it feels like I'm letting that person off the hook, like they should have to pay. They should have to, and I let them off the hook, and if we forgive, then they don't have to pay me back, and it makes it too easy for them. And our sense of fairness tells us people should pay for what they do. And that's because we believe that forgiveness is for the benefit of the offender. And the reality is forgiveness is for the benefit of the forgiver. Forgiveness sets you free from carrying around the weight and the burden of anger, bitterness, and resentment. And we get trapped by those things, and it affects us way more than it affects the one who hurt us. And when we don't forgive, the lens through which we see everyone becomes distorted, and we begin to view all of our relationships through that lens. So, because God loves us, because God wants us to have healthy relationships, he says, you've got to make the choice to forgive. And because Paul knows that we're fighting our own sense of internal fairness on this, he gives us the context You will never find the strength to forgive the people who have wronged you by looking directly at them and what they've done. You will only ever find the strength to forgive the people who have wronged you when you look toward the one who has forgiven you. When you remember all that you've been forgiven, it makes it a lot easier to extend that forgiveness to others. That's because when it comes to keeping track of life's hurts, we all tend to use some pretty creative math. See, I don't know about you, but I have this amazing ability to undercount my own misdeeds and multiply those of others. And the truth is, ultimately, forgiveness is just a decision that I make, that you are not my enemy and that I'm not going to live trapped by anger and bitterness and resentment and that I'm not going to live with an open ledger with your name on it. It's a recognition that I'm going to extend to you. I'm going to extend to others the same grace that God has extended to me. And in that decision, I actually set myself free. I become more like Jesus. And So let me ask you this question. How long, how long do you intend to let someone else who hurt you in another season of life, how long do you intend to let someone who hurt you last year or last week or last month, how long do you intend to let them dictate your heart moving forward? Why not forgive? You're the one being affected. Your relationships are being affected. So why not say, God, because of the incredible forgiveness that you've extended to me, I'm going to extend that to someone else. And I don't feel like it, but I'm just going to decide to do it. Here's what that looks like. Three simple steps. I want to help you. And maybe this isn't in your notes, but if you want to write this down, write this down. Number one, determine who you're angry with. Some of you, you've lost sight of it. you like, you don't even know why you're angry. It's something that happened years ago in different seasons. You're like, man, I don't even remember who I'm actually angry at, but now I'm just angry. Determine who it is that you're actually angry with. And then determine what it is that they stole from you. And I'd encourage you, write it down. Not just, well, I'm angry at them because they hurt me. What is it specifically that you feel you're owed? What is it specifically that you feel that they stole from you in that interaction, in that season? Write it down in a notebook. Type it out on your computer and print it out. And then make a decision, choose to cancel the debt. Take that, take that thing that you've printed out and drop it in the shredder. Take that notebook, set it on fire. Just cross it out with a big magic marker. Just say, you know what? I'm going to close that ledger. I'm going to close that account. I've made the decision. You don't owe me anymore. We're, we're, we're on even footing. And you know what happens? It sets you free. No longer do you have to carry the burden of anger and, and resentment and bitterness towards that person. And so maybe for you this week, that's the activity. That's, that's your action step. I, I need to forgive. I need to write it out, I need to, and I need to destroy that ledger and make sure that that person's forgiven. Maybe you need to have a conversation. Maybe you don't. Maybe they don't even know they hurt you. And maybe for you, you just need to go, I just need to forgive because it's not even affecting them. It's just affecting me. Why not forgive? And some of you are here today and you'd say this. You know what? It's so difficult for me to forgive other people because I've never experienced the forgiveness from God. Maybe you view your relationship with God or maybe the religious experience that you had growing up taught you that if you're going to experience forgiveness from God, you've got to somehow earn your way to that. And I want you to know that isn't found in the scriptures. That's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is, hey, bring all of your junk, bring all of your past, bring all of your sins, all the ways that you missed the mark and all the ways that you missed the mark trying to fix that you missed the mark the first time. Bring all of that and say, God, forgive me for this. And God will forgive you. God says, the sleep is wiped clean. I don't remember that when dealing with you. I see it, but I don't don't view you through that lens of your past and your sins and all the ways you've missed the mark. And maybe for you to experience the ability to forgive someone else, you need to recognize and experience God's forgiveness towards you first. And if that's you, I want you to know it's yours for the asking. God has invited you to have your sins forgiven, to have the slate wiped clean, to start brand new. And all you have to do is just agree with this prayer as we close today. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for those times where I've wildly missed the mark and I've walked away from you and I'm so thankful that you never walk away from me. And so I pray, forgive my sins. Adopt me into your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And then help me to follow you and your way of living as best as I know how from this moment on. And God... I pray for each of us as we strive to follow you and to to grow and mature spiritually to become more like Jesus. May we not look at the ways we've been wronged, but may we look at all that we've been forgiven. And as we remember all that we've been forgiven, may we extend to others the grace and forgiveness that we have received from you. Give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our own lives and then give us the courage to do that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.